Hey guys, this is the Out of Focus Podcast with your host, Will Malone. And I am here uh, by myself introducing the second part of the accidental interview. Uh, the first part came out last week, and this is the second part. But first, I wanted to talk to you a bit about this crazy project I'm about to do tomorrow. Um, and uh, so I wanted to fill in the podcast because I might be documenting it via podcast um, while I do it a little bit to maybe make, an, make a podcast episode out of it because that could be pretty neat. But as I've talked about before... I've done these 365 projects for you know six years or so, and um, when I did those, I did a photo a day every day for a year. Um, one of them, I did a video a day every day for a year, um, which really burned me out for quite a while after that. And sometimes when I you know film things, I still feel that fatigue of editing five hours a night for 300 something days. So yeah. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, so back in 2011, when we would binge watch TV series, uh, via DVD box sets, um, I used, I was really into the show 24, uh, you know, the Jack Bauer, uh, takes place in a 24 hour span. Each episode is an hour. Um, the show went on too long, whatever but it gave me an idea like what if i did a 365 project treating each hour like a day and i thought about that then and i wanted to do it and in college i should have done it because it would have been very possible but i had trouble figuring out how to make it interesting um at at the later hours when i had no help um and now as that i've grown as a photographer and just a person in general Um, that idea never really left my mind. I never really got rid of it. And I tend to let ideas kind of ruminate. And if I keep going back to them, if I keep, um, my mind keeps in a roundabout way going back to that idea, then I feel like, okay, I should probably, I should probably try that idea. I should probably do that. So, um, last year I planned to do it in October in Nashville, um, around this concert we were going to, the concert got canceled, so we ended up not going to Nashville, so I ended up not doing it, and I really came close to doing it, and now this time, I kind of, on impulse, I kind of woke up with a fully formed idea in my head of kind of what it would be, and so I decided I'm going to do it, um, I'm going to Chattanooga this weekend to take care of a couple things, um, visit my nieces, and, uh, amongst other things, um, shoot engagement photos, that sort of thing. And I was like, you know, it would be kind of cool to do this project as a way to kind of look back on the past few 365 projects um, by shooting this 24-hour series because um, I'm only going to Chattanooga for like a night. So I'm, I'm, leaving the, I'm leaving here tomorrow afternoon and I'm hopefully coming back Saturday afternoon or evening. Um, and so if I did it over that span of time, that could be pretty cool. Um, integrate some of my friends that have been, um, part of it in the past and just kind of use it to pay kind of homage to the 365s in the past, but also solve the problem that I've had for a long time, which is I've always wanted to do a photo book of my 365 projects. Um, but I don't want it to be thousands of pages. So this is a good way to kind of condense it, to use this series um, as as well as correlate it with the past and make just kind of a neat little heirloom piece of some of my art. And I've always really wanted to do that. And so this, this, can, this was a good way to do it. But not only that, so, you know, since I started doing photography, technology's changed a lot. And 
the 365 was really a way to kind of play with uh, Facebook photo sharing because it was before the algorithm. It was back when everything was chronological. And so it was really neat and everybody saw it in their newsfeed um, no matter what, if they were friends with me. And so it worked really well. But with the algorithm and stuff, it just hadn't felt quite the same. So this time, because it's 24 hours, we have these incredible... 24-hour photo mediums like Instagram stories and Snapchat and Facebook stories that go away after 24 hours. So I feel like, you know, I may share some highlights in my main feed on Instagram, but what if I made it mainly Instagram story native, you know, just to kind of bring it all back, you know? Um, And I just... You know, I've been fascinated with endings. We're living in this time with, you know, huge series like Game of Thrones ending, the Marvel Cinematic Universe ending, which you'll hear on the next podcast. Uh, and, it, you know, like, I kind of I kind of got a little jealous of those things. I'm like, I kind of want to do that for the, for the 365 in a way. Even though the 365 probably will never quite end, the, the Chattanooga saga of it has so i was like you know i'm going to chattanooga this weekend this might be a good opportunity to try this out and i've gotten a couple people on board to help me out and i think it should be pretty cool um so i'm calling it uh oh crap oh yeah so it'd be my seventh project in the series and although it's not really a 365 project it kind of feels a lot like it because it's still time-based and it's still every hour kind of like every day so i'm calling it lucky number seven a 24 hour 365 project. And, um, so yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I really don't know how it's going to end up. I obviously can't sleep for 24 hours or I have to squeeze it in somewhere. So it will take a physical toll, I'd imagine. Um, but yeah, go check it out. It'll be on Instagram. Will, Will Malone, W I L L M A L O N E like post Malone, but with Will Malone instead. Ugh, it's gross how much I have to say that in like restaurants and stuff now. Uh, Malone, like post Malone and everybody's like, ah, yes. Um, so anyway, I, I'm pretty excited about it, doing it on a whim. It's a little nuts, but, um, I thought it might be pretty awesome and, um, I'm excited to see what happens. So, uh, go on there and keep up with that and I'll post highlights of it on Facebook as well on my Facebook page, Wimbledon Photography. And then I will of course contain info about it on the blog for the Friday blog post, which I need to type up before I drive tomorrow. So anyway, ugh. Now I can breathe. Without further ado, here is the part two of the accidental interview with Andrew Bales and Tim Roundtree. And this one's talking about hunting. We talk a lot about hunting in this episode. Um, I learn about turkey hunting and deer hunting mostly, Um, but we're going to do a duck hunting episode with Tim later just because that's his true passion. And we just went on so long that he didn't really get that much of a chance to really talk about it. So hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for next week with the Avengers Endgame mega cast with Kelsey West. So see you soon. All right, Tim. So, so Andrew, Andrew, I guess has to take a call. So, uh, you can't, you can't escape. You're here. I can't escape. So, uh, tell, tell me, uh, so like, you know, Man, we, we're getting some phone calls answered on this podcast. I feel like somebody needs to, I need to like tell Anna to like, pretend to call me and say she's she's a client i've had two business phone calls and now andrew's andrew's got a call he's probably talking to somebody from jamaica so uh you know before this podcast started i was watching you know you and your dog uh Mm -hmm. you know you were you were showing me 
the basics of, I guess, duck hunting retrieval. So, like, uh, what's what's the deal with... So, like, this is a world I am wholly unfamiliar with. So, like, like give me, give me the scoop. Like, what's... So, you have this passion of duck hunting, right? Is that the only kind of hunting you truly have a passion for? Or do you... I mean, is it all hunting? Is it... I mean... So, we're in turkey season right now. Okay, but you said... You told me I hate you don't hunting. like turkey hunting. I hate... Okay. I've, I've, so... This year, 2019, I have turkey hunted more this year than I've turkey hunted my entire life. Wow. I've been hunting for 22 years, and this year I've turkey hunted twice. Wow. So that tells you that I'm not a turkey hunter. I've also seen a lot of turkey around recently. Yeah, so I've, I've, got, I've tried to get into it mainly because of my wife. Caitlin wants to turkey hunt. She wants to do it. I can't stand it. Um, the birds are smart, but they're also <laughs> stupid. And it's hot here in South Carolina. I don't feel like running down a bird. There's, I mean, yeah, whoever out there is listening to this podcast, the turkey hunts, they're going to argue with me until they're blue in the face. And that's fine. <laughs> I don't know how many turkey hunt listeners we have. But, but if you do, they're going to argue with me and tell me that I am ridiculous. Okay. Because I have friends that are just turkey thugs like that's what they do and i've gone with them we've been successful but i'm not having fun doing it so i'm not going to continue to do it because it's not a passion of mine yeah my passion is waterfowl and duck hunting Uh, you mentioned other other hunting i do Uh, i'm a big bow hunter for deer and elk moose bear Um, primarily white-tailed deer right here off the back porch Uh, i got a deer stand 150 yards that way and 150 yards that way food plots around our farm so we uh we deer hunt opening week of bow season is september 15th so we me and my wife bow hunt i quit rifle hunting rifle season opens october 12th i quit rifle hunting when i was 16 no reason other than it was too easy (laughs) that makes sense see well it it makes sense to somebody who has skills. Like for me, when I go hunting, I think, well, dang, I'm I'm out here with this 12 gauge, and I'm like, this is pretty tough. So like, I've it only is. hunted with a 12 gauge. That's all I've ever hunted with. Rifle hunting and shotgun hunting, it is tough. But I grew up doing it. We didn't do it for sport. We did it for putting meat on the table. Yeah. We we didn't have a lot of money growing up, and so it was put meat on the table, and then we will eat off this deer meat. And then also, if you shoot too much meat, we'll give that meat away to the people in church. And so, grew up rifle hunting, shotgun hunting. My dad did it. So I learned from my dad and grandpa. It was easy. Easy enough. And then I got to where, because rifle hunting and bow hunting is so much different. Because rifle hunting, when you get out of shotgun hunting, you start using a rifle. You can shoot a deer 100, 200, 300 yards away. You can sit in a deer stand 200 yards away eating a steak not what a care in the world what you smell like and that deer is not going to smell you at 200 yards away unless the wind's blowing in his face and you can shoot him and if you're a good shot and you're steady he's going to run 50 yards and he's going to die he might drop right then and there easy there's an adrenaline rush that happens with hunting there's a challenge that happens with hunting and there's still hunters to this day my dad my dad just started bow hunting last year so he's, you can say, he's been deer hunting for 46 years now. 
and he just now picks up a bow because he's tired of shooting a deer with a rifle. Hmm. So it becomes of a, a sense of <clears throat> yes, a challenge, but also my dad's not striving for meat anymore. I still, me and my wife, we have a garden. We have canned vegetables. And then we shoot, we primarily, during bow season, we try to shoot six deer for our household. We try to do it with bows, if we can. Bow season's from September 15th to October 11th. But with bow hunting, you have to get within 30 yards to shoot a deer and have a good ethical shot. Because you don't want the deer to suffer. Yeah. So take it to that standpoint, it's a lot harder. My clothes, <coughs> my hunting clothes, from June until the end of deer season for deer hunting, my hunting clothes are in my barn in a Tupperware full of pine needles, leaves, and random dirt. All my clothes stay the same. Yeah. I come out of my house in my underwear and I go to my barn and I put my clothes on. And I'm scent free. I hunt the wind. So if the wind's not right, I do not hunt. Because those deer have their ears, a lot of people don't realize, but a white-tailed deer their ear can turn 360 degrees so their sense of hearing is crazy and then their sense of smell is phenomenal they can smell you from forever away so to get a white-tailed deer within 30 yards is a very hard challenge and then to draw back a bow while that deer is within 30 yards is a huge challenge as well andrew's back andrew's he can he can testament to this um, what am i testamenting do you're not a big bow hunter. Well, hold on. Can you guys talk about this? I need to use the restroom. Yeah. So, uh, where's the <laughs> restroom? Straight in. Pause break. Straight. Literally. You guys talk, though. Go straight yeah. through. All right. So now we can talk crap about. Oh my gosh, Will. I got the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I just met him and I hate him. Because <laughs> he's going to hear this later. <laughs> We're talking about bow hunting and rifle hunting, how I transitioned out of rifle hunting into bow hunting. Yeah. Um, I don't use a rifle anymore. So I bow hunted a little bit, but I've never killed anything with a bow. You killed a lot of brown with a with a gun now. So you've obviously been to the point to where if you've had a deer close with a rifle or shotgun and if it smelled you, it blows and it runs. Yep. So Many times. With a bow, you have to be within thirty yards most of the time. And you have to be scent free, playing the wind, and then you also have to make a lot of movement to draw your bow back to yep. kill that deer. To kill that animal with an ethical shot. Mm-hmm. And so he was asking me, why did I move from bow hunting to rifle hunting? Or from rifle hunting to bow hunting? <laughs> I do it as a challenge. It is harder. The one time I had a shot, I missed him. And I've missed a lot of different opportunities, but it's fun. Yeah, I think there, I think it's also... Killing a deer with a, with a rifle is not easy by any means. No, it's not. You know, it is. It's not an easy thing to. You know, some a lot of people think, oh, you just shoot a deer with a rifle. You just, you know, it's nothing. You know, I mean, you and I have missed deer. You and I have hit deer and not found them. You know, I mean, it's yep. it's not easy to kill one. But at the same time, so so I mean, that's the thing. It's not like that's easy and bow hunting's harder. So we wanted to, you know, we want to bow hunt because it's harder. I think it's a little more primal than that. You know, I think there's something about. Again, while gun hunting's not easy, it is easier. It's easier, to but it's not. It, it, once you do it for so long, 
and you hunt the same ground every year over and over again yeah. like i have my farm right here i have access i personally own 15 acres but then i also have access to 110 acres that i hunt <laughs> then the land that i grew up hunting was 300 acres i could go to the same stand every night with a rifle and shoot a deer at 300 yards and it was it was it was yes it was not easy but it wasn't as hard right as trying to breach the gap from 300 yards to 30 yards yeah absolutely so so i, I use the word primal like you, you go back to when the native americans were uh you know hunting they didn't hunt you and i hunt for meat but we could always go to the store and get meat if we needed to if we needed to yes those guys i mean all they had was what they killed you know so they couldn't you know blow off a seven millimeter mag and scare everything away you know they had to be real precise real quiet because it's not just about being quiet up to the point of the shot when you bow hunt yep. you know it's about being quiet enough to where it's a more silent kill so it's strategic too because there's a chance I shoot this one over here, and this one doesn't hear it, I could possibly get that guy too, you know? That's exactly right. And so, I mean, it is more of a challenge, but I think it, it it's a strategic choice too, by the same token, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think another thing that comes with me with bow hunting was it's a year-round aspect for me because <clears throat> I started last week, it's April 25th now, I started last week on prepping my bow stands. Yeah. All my stands are prepped almost a year in advance sometimes because yeah, you can't set foot in one until september 15th yeah and i can't i can't hunt legally until september 15th but i prep my stands i have my, legally <laughs> i have my cameras i have my food plots that are in place but i want to make sure i pattern the deer I, I'm, I'm physically a lot of people there are bird watchers that have bird feeders on their porch i am a deer watcher mm-hmm. i have cameras oh, yeah. that are in the woods that are watching these deer every day and right now my deer on my farm are on a pattern where they're walking south to north you got cameras in the woods back there yeah you might have seen me peeing earlier on your camera <laughs> so i have cameras that... i'm just saying <laughs> be aware <laughs> the deer are walking south to north right now and i know for a fact come <clears throat> august they will change from west to south because they've done it three years in a row now. Mm-hmm. You pattern them, and then you set your sands accordingly. And so you have to monitor and, and realize, versus if you have a big food plot in the middle of a field, and you're using a rifle and a big box stand, you're just basing it off of hunting that, that food plot. I hunt the transition points. I hunt the point of where the deer is going to the food plot. Because that's where I can get close. That's when their guard's down. So, we'll and we're not even on my passion. We're on we're on deer hunting. My passion is duck hunting. I was gonna say, when are you gonna start bow hunting ducks? <laughs> if you're that if you're that intense funny, about it's, it, it's funny yeah. that you said that because I tried. <laughs> I tried last year to shoot a duck with a bow. How'd that I go? Said, this is not going to work. I lost I lost about nine arrows in a matter of thirty minutes, and I said, all right. That was. It's almost like this isn't meant to do. That was one hundred eighty dollars out the window. Yep. And I said, I'm done. So, uh, I feel like bow hunting is growing in popularity because I, I listen to a lot of different genres of podcasts and watch all kinds of stuff. And I feel like I hear more and more about bow hunting. <coughs> Joe Rogan's a big bow hunter, man. Yeah, that's why I've, I've, I listen, I don't listen to Joe Rogan. I said Rogan that because you mentioned him earlier. Yeah, but I, I have, I listened to his podcast, uh, when I was driving to Tallahassee last week, talking to, um, 
Was it him? Somebody talking to the meat eater guy on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and fantastic about bow hunting and uh, and I might just, have been him. They're buddies. It sounds super fun because I'm not I'm not like wonderful like I'm not a wonderful shot with like a firearm uh, as far as like a rifle goes for hunting. So like I hear bow hunting, I'm like that sounds really fun to me. At least try it. But I and I keep hearing more and more about it. So I'm I'm interested in like I, I heard you guys were kind of talking about it while. I stop for a little bit but i tell you that it's, bow, it's a lot harder yeah bow Yo, hunting, yeah no doubt yeah <laughs> bow hunting came to light it's it's always been around um it's never been big until 1997 um it really it really started getting big in 1997 because they started the laws broke through on on public land and core property that you could no longer use rifles. There's still public land that you can use guns and firearms on here in town, but there's a lot of land that they put it to bow hunting only for. Not the whole season. Excuse me. <laughs> Not the whole season. <laughs> Fence Grove right here in Clemson, 9,000 acres, bow hunt only. It used to be rifles. No kidding. Mm-hmm. I definitely have not taken a rifle on the fence group. So, um, yeah, fence group. So, like, everybody was going in there, and more accidents were happening. Mm. Sorry, that cat's messing me up. Take Um, your pills. Take my pills, yeah. So, (laughs) there was a lot of accidents happening, gun uh, gun accidents, meaning you have public land, and all these people put boots on the ground and scout and try to find the right spot to kill a deer. Well, if I didn't know Andrew, and Andrew didn't know me, and the only place we had to hunt was here in town at Fence Grove, the 9,000 acres. Hmm. We both drove our cars to the same spot and scouted it. <laughs> and we show up the same day. We show up the same day. I'm hunting one ridge, and he's hunting the valley. It's bad. And a lot of times you walk six, seven miles in, so you don't want to carry a deer stand with you, so you're sitting at the base of a tree with a rifle or a shotgun. Then you have dumb hunters that will shoot at anything that moves. Low light right there in the evening. Andrew's shaking his hand. He already knows. This happens all the time. People get killed that way. A high school boy goes in. He doesn't have any experience in hunting. Nobody's trained him. Nobody's given him any safety. There are safety courses that you have to go through to get your license, but it's just a 10-hour course. It's nothing big. And so that 16-year-old sitting on top of the hill, and then another 16-year-old or 80-year-old is sitting at the bottom of the mm-hmm. hill, 200 yards away. You can't see anything past his pans. Yeah. And low light happens. It's right there at dusk, and somebody gets up to move and they think it's a deer moving and they pull the trigger and somebody gets killed it happens all the time and so that's why a lot of the reason is that's one of the reasons they went to bow hunt only the other reason is deer management people were shooting everything that moved little deer big deer right and so they went to bow hunting because they knew it was harder they knew that you had to be in close range. They knew that you had to physically have your eyes on the deer because the arrow will not fly further than 100 yards. Right. It's not ethical to shoot a deer past 40 yards, in my opinion. Midwest hunters shoot deer out to 70 yards all the time. Why is that not, why is that not ethical? Less, less likelihood of getting a clean shot. Okay, I see. So you just like... You sling an arrow out of your bow 
It shoots 387 feet per second. Your arrow is 120 grains. You have a 120 grain broadhead on the end. You let that arrow go and a gust of wind pops up. Outside of 25 yards, that arrow is going anywhere. It's like throwing a piece of newspaper into a thunderstorm. I put it in real to you. There's a Yeti cooler sitting on the other side of the porch from us. And if I told you to hit the right side of that cooler from this far, it'd be fairly easy to do. But if I put that same cooler at the edge of the woods over there and said hit the right side of it, yeah. there's a good chance you might you might hit it, but you're probably going to make him bleed in a way that's not going to kill him, you know. And just like you know, make wounding. him suffer, potentially. Exactly. Gotcha. I'll tell you something funny about bow hunting that's recently happened. So crossbows got real popular probably, I don't know, five years ago, I guess. Kind of, uh, seven, eight years ago. Yeah. They've always been kind of a thing, but they got really popular here a little while they ago. They just passed the law eight years ago that you can crossbow hunt during bow season now. They go. considered crossbows a rifle. Really? <laughs> Until eight years ago. Then they then they considered them a bow. So anyway, so now, so you got people that use crossbows, and it's a lot easier, especially for older guys, because they can't draw the, draw the bowstring back. You got crossbows, you got what are called compound bows and then you have recurve bows which are like literally just a piece of wood that curves back and a string and that's like the native thing and then you have traditional which is <laughs> and then you have traditional which is just you know basically it looks like a banana right so what's really funny we were joking about this with a friend of ours the other day or no you know him too austin yeah yeah because he's a is he a recurve guy or is he traditional he is a recurve guy and i hope he listens to this podcast <laughs> well, i joked with him about it then because he said oh, i hunt with recurve and so I joked to him, I said, oh, so you think you're the only bow hunter around then? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because there's this running joke where, like, the recurve guys think that the compound guy guy is not a real bow hunter because he uses a compound bow. And he doesn't the use it. compound guys and think the... that a crossbow guy is not a real hunter. <laughs> exactly, because, oh, you're not really using a bow, you're using a crossbow. <laughs> and so there's, like, this disdain of different levels for everybody nowadays. That's like, I feel like in every industry there's that. Yeah, there's yeah, that yeah. kind of. Oh, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I've heard, uh, you know, just just from my own, you know, photography world, it's like, oh, I'm sure you know, some. there's natural light photographers, which basically means, like, you don't know how to use a flash, and then there's, like, studio light flash photographers that think natural light photographers are morons uh-huh. who don't know how to use it. So it's like, there's there's always that, and it, I, I can't think of an industry that doesn't have some something like that in some regard. I always yeah. like a, uh, a photographer that says, well, my medium's light. <laughs> yeah. Just I chase light. I'm the chaser of light, you know. Every I, photographer on the planet's medium is light, you dumbass. <laughs> I, I love on I love on yeah, Instagram when you're like, uh, I have wonderlust and I'm a chaser of light and I'm like, Well, yeah, I mean I me too, I guess. Well yeah, you can't <laughs> like, see without light. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I've chase tried to shoot in a dark room too. It doesn't really <laughs> it doesn't work, work very well. Yeah. <laughs> a funny story comes to mind. Me and my dad were actually hunting in Vance Grove five years ago. And Otherwise, we, where our next podcast is going to come from? We're just going to go sit in the pond in Fance Grove. <laughs> so <laughs> we keep talking about it. I was in Fance Grove. Me and my dad had scouted seventeen miles, seventeen square miles of property. We'd spent, I think, five or six Saturdays, and we found spots that we wanted to hunt. My dad is a crossbow hunter. I'm a compound hunter. We went in on opening day of public land season, which is not September 15th. It's into October. And Dad went. We walked in. Our first initial walk down the dirt road was, because you had to park at the gate, was four miles. And then my dad took a left and walked 
up the hill another mile and I went down into the swamp I had a spot I wanted to hunt and I remember sitting that morning and I'm a duck hunter and I'm on the swamp and I'm watching ducks flying everywhere I'm not even worried about deer at that point I'm getting excited at the ducks and, and then I remember <clears throat> it was about 8.45 open morning and there was other trucks at the gate that morning we tried to beat everybody there I remember my dad texting me and he said, I just I just dropped a deer. It was his first year using a crossbow. And I texted him right back. I said, did you drop it or did you shoot it? He said, he texted me back. He said, son, I dropped the deer. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I've been hunting longer than you, boy. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, okay. It's 8.45. It's still early. I said, I'll give it 45 minutes. Because we had a four-mile uh, hike out. Sometimes praise lords mean shut up, kid. You know? <laughs> yeah, so I had a four-mile hike out with this deer. I had no idea what he shot, if it was a buck or a doe. I knew he had doe tags in his bag. <clears throat> and he was trying to put meat on the table, so I kind of assumed it was a doe. And I'm thinking he's using a crossbow, so who knows. So I said, I'll be to your stand where he was at. And I said, I'll be there in about an hour. So I got got out of where I was at and about an hour later and walked up. Sure enough, 25 yards from his stand was a big, mature, 140-pound doe. And, uh, a big doe. Yeah, it was a big doe. And I was congratulating him, and he said, yeah, she was running from a coyote, and I shot her. And I remember looking at my dad and what? saying, and, and I said, if you hunted with a compound bow, that would never happen. Because you can't make that. Only a few people that I know could actually make that shot, and that's a very hard shot to make with a bow while deer is running. And he made it with a crossbow. He said, yeah, and she just dropped. I've been bow hunting for I don't know how long, and I've only dropped five deer with my bow. Most of them usually run about 25 to 50 yards, and then they'll expire. So we're, we're standing there looking at the deer, and then... We get to uh, the process of field dressing it, getting all the guts out of it, and because we have a four-mile hike out to drag this deer, and we're standing there, and I'm I'm doing it for my dad because I wanted to help him out, and about that time, I hear a, a limb crack behind me, and you can tell the difference between a bird or a squirrel or whatever when it's that heavy. I knew it was a person. And so I kind of turned my head to the left, and there is about a six-foot-two man standing behind us about five feet away. And he looked, he, and I turned around, and I said, Hey, how you doing? We're on public land. He said, I'm fine. That's all he said. I said, Well, I'm gutting this deer. You need anything? Can I help you with anything? He said, You shoot that deer? Without missing my, without missing the beat, my dad looked at him and said, "No, he fell over when I looked at him." <laughs> and so I started laughing, and the guy looked at us and said, "You shot my deer, my deer. That was my deer." He said, "Okay, we're on nine thousand acres." And that's your deer. That's your deer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, we had stands thirty feet in that tree, all around this nine thousand acres, chained to a tree. Because we didn't feel like hiking them in every morning. Long story short, 
we came in the next weekend to hunt and that stand that my dad shot that deer out of was gone because that guy was irritated because we shot his deer. <laughs> so that's what you deal with on public land. Public land. Good times. Good times. That's where my dad leases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the recipient of that. <clears throat> so but that's to... a whole different run on... So yeah. do you have to pay to be on public land? Is that like a... <clears throat> I mean, if it's public land, I imagine like national park is how I think. About yeah, so all you all you <laughs> have to there's pay, an add-on to your license that you yeah, pay for. all you have to pay is uh, to get a WMA permit. And there, those wildlife are wildlife management. management, so game management is another okay. term for that. So like it's specific areas, like you couldn't just walk onto Yosemite and. Yeah, know. I mean, I've 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 purchased hunting licenses before just because like I've done like little small mm-hmm. game hunting here or there, yeah. but I've never I've never hunted mm-hmm. anything major. You know, uh, like a deer. I've never deer hunted. Nothing anything. like it, man. But I will say, I've I've eaten deer that was freshly hunted, and it there's there's nothing like that. It's True. incredible. Yeah. Yep. I took my wife into going with me last year, or two years ago, I guess. Yeah, I hardly only went like three times last year. When I went twenty five times here before that, um, and she saw it's one of those things where you you'll go deer hunting like a ton of times and not see anything not get anything it's mm-hmm. just it's just how it is you know it's just you got to put up with it she goes one time and she sees more deer do deer stuff that day than Isn't i've ever crazy? seen Isn't in my crazy life how that happens? yeah like she saw deer playing with each other and fighting and like all this kind of stuff that i've never seen in my life and she sees it she's like why are you always complaining i saw <laughs> i saw a deer in the neighbor's yard the other day that had been decapitated by, I assume, a car, and it was oh, like geez. it was like in their front yard, just like without a head. And I was like, it was like early in the morning too, so I was like driving past this, and it was not there like later in the day. No head. And no head. And then I was like, what? like I feel, like I feel bad for them. They're gonna have to do some of this deer that's in their like freshly cut grass, and. uh I come back later that day, and the deer is about just eaten away by buzzards. Oh, yeah. Just totally gone. But Fresh I just, meat. Yeah, part of me was like, should I pick that thing up? Eh. Deer gets hit like that. It's normally not real good. Does bones shatter? Well, you I'm... might think it otherwise, but... I've picked up a lot of roadkill. Really? Me and my wife are stern. That's the difference we are stern to not going to the grocery store if we can help it. <laughs> Dude, I drive I drive past so much roadkill all the time. So I, when I say roadkill, I mean deer. I will not pick up a squirrel or a rabbit or anything. Well, right. I would. I, I'll, yeah. Possums too. I had I had a brother. I had my brother-in-law call me at two o'clock in the morning one time, and he said, "Hey, there's a deer still halfway alive on the side of the road." What do you want me to do? And I said, where are you at? And he told me. And I rode up there. And <laughs> you put him in the freezer. Huh? And I rode up there, and, and the deer had been hit in the hind, in the rear quarters, so the back legs would not Oh, see. Uh, that's tough. The deer was suffering. So, one, I wanted to put it out of its misery because I don't like seeing an animal suffer. But, two, I said, this is good meat. And so I took my knife, and I finished off the deer on the side of the road. Yeah. And then I threw the deer in the back of my truck, and I went to my house, and it was 3 o'clock in the morning. I won't ever forget it because I had a skinning shed at my house, and I was in the city, city limits where I was living at. <laughs> I strung this deer up Skinning in the, the backyard and turned the spotlights on, and I started cutting it up. And there's there's parts that you could see were hit that the meat was damaged. There was so much blood around the meat that you just knew you couldn't eat it. So, yeah, I salvaged the meat, but it was... It was still meat. So, do you 
processed deer yourself? My grandfather was the owner of Farmer's Meat Center in York, South Carolina. So I was taught how to process meat myself. Do I still do it now? I will on occasion, but I don't if I don't have time to. I have a friend that'll do it for a very minimal fee. Hmm. Well, I hope I didn't hijack the conversation. No, I mean, it's, again, it's like... Out of focus. Maybe. Yeah, out of focus. That's right. Like, that's me in a nutshell. Is like I I have a tension deficit disorder. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I am all about, uh-oh, uh-oh. Can't say oh, no. Oh, the pouring. Okay. All right, well. Um, the pouring. Yeah, so. Uh, the pouring. The pouring and the pouring. <laughs> the pouring and so, yeah, no, the I'm, pouring. I mean, you know, just, <laughs> I, like, I, I do this to learn. That's, yeah. that's just an extension. Have you learned anything? I have. I have learned a lot about hunting. I will say that. Cause, like, you know, people see me and they think, like, uh, this guy is just, like, I don't know what they think. Like, I, I'm, I'm in a box. Like, you know, everybody looks at somebody and they think of them in a box. You know, they think... He strike me as an out-of-the-box kind of guy. What, me? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's that's the greatest compliment I could ever hear because yeah. I don't... I don't like labeling myself as anything, and I have trouble with that because I just don't like... I don't want people to be like, that guy's a photographer. I don't even like just hearing just that. Like, that bothers me to some weird extent. Like, I want to, you know, like, I don't want people to be able to, like, say in one word what I You know what I mean? I would, I, would, I would define you as a keen observer of the human condition. There we go. Heck yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I need to, like, start the podcast with While that. While Andrew puts duck calls on the table. Yeah, he drops duck calls on the table. Hey. Keen observer of what the human and like I just met you, but like I already appreciate your your love for life and your love for stories because storytelling is like a lost art in many ways. Like people tell stories all the time, but like true storytelling and sharing of facts and truth, like it's a lost art in many ways. You know, and and people like you, you're you're an appreciator of it. I can tell. And like I'm not just saying that because I've had three bourbons. Like I, <laughs> you know, like it's it's been really like exhilarating for me to get to know you and hear you because you have like legitimate questions and you're really like interested to hear the finer points of his bow hunting technique and that and and for some reason they want to know about my life even though you've never met me before you know and like that only comes from a person who is smart but also humble enough to know that there are other people out there and like so i really appreciate that about you even though i just met you so i appreciate that there you go well i yeah i mean i just I mean, everybody's got their own thing they really love, and everybody's got their thing that they think intently about all the time. True. The thing they're obsessed over, whether it's an insecurity or, or, or some interest they have or whatever. And, you know, I know I have those things, and I'm not, like, that original of a person. So, like, I know that other people, there are other people out there that think about things like that you know so that's so interesting that you said that that way like because most people when you started that sentence when you said oh there's things people obsess over like a lot of people just think work or you know hobbies or whatever and Mm -hmm. the first thing you said was insecurity and like that's something and i only say that because like that's something i had to come to grips with because even though i had a lot of great experience i struggled for years and still do from time to time with my own personal insecurity even though I've i've accomplished a lot of things and like that if I'm not careful, that can become an obsession, you know? Yeah. And so, like, that's so true is that, like, everyone has an obsession, and if it's not about something that's positive and good and productive, it's about your own insecurities in many ways, you know? Yeah. And so, like, that's really interesting that you said it that way. Well, sure. I mean, as, I mean, I, 
I don't know another way to 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 live. Like the 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 solution I found to insecurity is just like work and just like it's true getting into it. And it's like, you know, you can you can just say do. you're bad at all kinds of stuff, but if you just like take the time to chip away at something, then you know you can overcome it. So usually, somebody says that bad, they're bad at everything is normally not tried a lot or yeah. tried at anything. For yeah, that matter. Yeah, it's it's all about just chipping away. Although I'm bad at calling ducks. And I've tried, so I'm just bad at it. <laughs> Got heat practicing. All right, well, I'm going to shut this thing down. And uh, do, you, okay. do you it's close okay. your podcast any certain way, or you just it's shut okay. it down? It's uh, like eight years for me. I don't have, like, a quote. I usually just say, like, see ya later. No Walter Cronkite and that's no, the rest of the story or I anything? I am no Walter, Walter Cronkite, for sure. <clears throat> Fair so, enough. So I'm, what's your tagline? Uh, I'll talk to you later. There you go.